Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Nichols Road Campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, you sound um, a little quieter than the 109,000 people Micah and I were with yesterday at the Michigan football game at Michigan Stadium, but I know you're out there. (laughs) We won big, and I was a happy guy. All right, you guys, we are in a nine-week sermon series on the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a church in Philippi, that's why it's called Philippians, And in our sermon series, we're teaching through verse-by-verse expository teaching on the book. So we're in chapter 4 this week. Pastor Cameron wrapped up the second half of chapter 3 last week. And uh, before we jump into chapter 4, here comes that participation. So raise your hand for me if you like to play games, like tabletop board games. Come on, get those hands up. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and keep your hands up like if you like to win when you play tabletop board games. Who's, who's got a little competitive streak in them? Okay, great. Now, uh, keep your hand up. Keep your hands up if you, if you answered yes to both of those. Now, keep your hand up if you're willing to come play a tabletop board game right now. I need three volunteers. Okay, uh, Nick, Leah, Jeff. All right, come on up, you three. Thank you. Give them a hand, guys. Willing victims, I mean volunteers. I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Okay, so here's the deal. Marilee is setting up the Jenga tower. And what we're about to do is play three-player Team Jenga. We're all on the edge of our seat if you can set it up without a spill. You'll win first. That's the first game. And then we'll get to ours. Okay, you three, as she sets it up, dial in. Because it's not quite normal Jenga. It's Team Jenga. You're going to take turns. Finding a a block that you think is removable without knocking the tower down, you're going to poke it through, pull it out, and set it on top, right? Regular Jenga rules. Um, Once you get three built on here, you can go up another layer, all right? And if you guys, as a team, you three build three new layers, you win, okay? You can test blocks, no no, like uh, technicality rules. But as the slide up there says, there will be twists. You've got to build three layers, three rounds, but after each round, there's going to be a twist in this game, okay? So don't get mad at me. I'm warning you now. (laughs) Twists are coming. Twists and turns, okay? So if the tower falls as you attempt this, you all lose. If you make three layers, you all win. And just to make it a little more interesting, just to sweeten the deal, I (laughs) I have these three $5 bills ready One for each of you if the team wins the game, okay? So let's start. Why don't we do one round? Each of you take one turn and build one new layer. Go for it. Whenever you're ready, any order. Don't be shy. That's all right. False starts are allowed. You can pull backs, choose a different block, whatever you need to do. All right, Leah's got us rolling out. Excellent. First one, done. All right, Nick and Jeff. 
Five dollars on the line here. Oh, we got a we got a loose block going here. Nick has played before. Well played, well played. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, add the third to the top. That's round one. Good job. But now that means it's time for twist number one. Okay, let's go uh, Leah and Nick. Hold out your left hands toward each other and interlock, yeah, face her, left hands, interlock your four fingers with her four fingers. Uh, like just your, in the fingers. Yep, yep, just like that. Okay, that's twist number one. The second round of Jenga must be played with your hands locked in like that. If your hands come apart, you lose and you don't get the $5. If the tower falls down, you lose and you don't get the $5. Okay, round two, let's go. Let's see if we can get another layer. I'm counting on you guys to make it through this round because I want to do a third round. It's really important. Grabbed his wrist. <laughs> I'd keep it simple so you can win. Well played, Jeff. All right. No, you don't have to use that hand. You can use your right hand. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Just for the challenge. Just for the challenge. As long as it doesn't fall down. I want to see round three because it gets more interesting. Oh, wait. We can use this hand. You can use that hand. Yes. Yes. Please do. <laughs> Nick's got to do it, though. Nick's got to do it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a team, but you all have to take a turn. We're not letting him off the hook. We can't let him off the hook. I don't, yeah, Marilee, what did you do? <laughs> These guys are like, she stacked it tough. Okay, okay. Fixing's allowed. Helping's allowed. Yes, yes. Did you get it on there? All right, round two complete. The final twist before round three is a doozy, and it's a little complicated, so listen carefully, okay? I'm an engineer. It can get complicated with me. Okay, Nick, Leah, when I count to three and say go, you are about to begin a thumb war with your left hands, okay? Yeah, the thumb war is going to be waged at the same time as the Jenga game, okay? They happen in parallel at the same time. So here's what I mean. I'll count to three. I'll say go. Nick and Leah start their thumb war and... You all take another round of getting a block out and putting it on top, okay? The game can end in these following ways. If the tower falls, they lose, no $5. If their hands come apart, remember they can't break apart their hands, they lose, no $5. If the thumb war is still in progress and they build this third layer, each player gets their $5. But, ladies and gentlemen, but if the thumb war ends first, someone's thumb getting pinned for count of three, the winning thumb war person takes home $10 all by themselves, and the team loses the Jenga, okay? We now have the twist, okay? Wait, wait, wait. Her hands are very clammy, so can't Yeah, yeah, if you need to dry off and prepare, you can do that, yes. Okay, it's getting serious. It's getting serious. So, like, you guys have decisions to make. 
Jeff, you don't have access to the $10 prize, but you can try to convince them not to go for the thumb war win so you can still get your five bucks. You guys could make a pact right now and say, hey, let's $5 each is pretty good. Yeah, right? Decisions to make. Okay, I'm not going to give you too long to think about it. They're, they're thinking about sharing. Okay, we'll see if anyone's double dealing, if anyone's got a secret plan to win 10 bucks instead of five. Let's go ahead with the thumb war and the third round. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war. There's no requirement to move your thumbs if you decide you want to stick with the pact. Don't make her knock it over now. I don't know if you guys can see it, but they are not going for the thumb war pin back here. I've got a good eye on it. I'll count it out like the uh, world wrestling uh, referee or whatever if it happens. <laughs> I see that. Okay, this is the final move. Nick's attention is diverted to the tower. Will Leah go for the pin? Or will she keep her truce? Oh my gosh. I picked the right people for this game. You guys are crazy. I might have to put a time limit on this thing. Okay. We have three winners. Nick, five for you. Leah, five for you. Although you almost went the other way. Let's give them a hand. Thank you, guys. You're good sports. You're good sports and excellent Jenga players, if I do say so myself. Excellent Jenga players. It's okay, Vanna. Vanna slash Marley. It's okay. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, why in the world do we play Team Jenga at the start of a sermon? Because it was fun, that's why. Okay, no. We're getting into Philippians chapter 4 this morning. And what we noticed, that was pretty good, Marley. Nice job. I want that block. It's a, a picture of what we just did right there. Okay. I set up this crazy game that had competing interests, right? Nick and Leah had two things they could go for. They could go for winning as a team, building the tower together, and follow their original agreement to be a team or they could go it for the individual win. One, two, three, four, I declare a thumb war and go for the pin, right? Whoa. Um, it was kind of a sacrifice for those two to say, hey, I'm not gonna go for 10 bucks on my own because I'm gonna take the lesser so the team can win. And they kind of kept with their agreement, didn't they? Okay, so the interesting thing about Philippians 4 is that, uh, Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi into a very similar situation. <laughs> Bear with me. <laughs> it really is similar. You see, Paul came to town and started this church in Philippi sometime in the past, and he's writing a letter back to them saying, hey guys, we're building this thing together called the kingdom of God. We're building his church, which is you guys, together. Uh, but there's this thumb war waging in Philippi. This thumb war waging. So it's into this situation that he writes the letter. Let's go ahead and read about it. 
starting in verses 2 and 3 of Philippians chapter 4. Paul writes, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together, with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So there are two women at the church in Philippi who were likely church leaders, according to some most scholars, and Paul considers them teammates in the gospel. These are two leading ladies helping to build the Jenga tower of the church in Philippi. But they've got a thumb war waging on the side. There's some sort of squabble between, we'll call them E and S, just to make me not pronounce Euodia and Syntyche a hundred times this morning. Um, e and S have this thumb war waging. They've got some sort of side open argument going on between the two of them. And uh, Paul hears about it from a Roman prison um, and considers it important enough to write about in his letter to the whole church. Okay, so this was a big deal to Paul. Why might it be a big deal that they have this issue going on between just two of them in a church of who knows how many? Well, one reason, as it's said in one of the commentaries that I read, is a church warring with itself is in danger of losing its testimony to outsiders. So Paul is a man who's committed his entire life from the moment he met Jesus to telling people about the good news of the kingdom of God, that Jesus was God, that he came in the flesh, he died, was buried, and rose again, and now he's started this whole movement all around the world. Paul's given his life to that end, and he wants the church in Philippi to keep working toward that goal of letting more people know the good news about Jesus. And this open argument, this thumb war between E and S, is detracting from that. You know, it can make the church not a very exciting place for new people to want to come and hear about Jesus. That's one reason why he wrote. The other one uh, from a different commentary says, for those in the Lord by faith to be at variance is an utter inconsistency. That kind of feels like a mouthful. If you're in faith in the Lord together at church and you have a thumb war waging, that's utterly inconsistent with what God is trying to do in his body, the church. He's trying to build a community of believers who are living his way, who are loving God and loving their neighbor and telling people about the good news, encouraging one another to grow in our maturity and following him. And having this open, unresolved conflict uh, just doesn't line up with that, does it? Okay, so that's why Paul would write about the squabble between ENS. But what would he say is a solution? The key is in the bolded words that I had on the slide where we read the verses. He says to agree in the Lord. You can also translate the original Greek text to say, have the same mind. Be in agreement. Have the same mind. And when I read that, to me it was a glowing hyperlink to Philippians chapter 2, which we covered just a couple of weeks ago. Have the same mind. Those words took me right back to chapter 2 and we'll see why. And it's Paul appealing to these two ladies saying, hey, come into unity as the body of Christ, as his community here in Philippi. And it means be humble, sacrifice of yourself just like Jesus. Let's go back to chapter 2 and read it just so we remember. He said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he launches into that beautiful passage about Jesus, who is God, but didn't consider his equality with God something to be clung to. But he humbled himself. He made the sacrifice at the cross for us. And so Paul is saying, E, S, <laughs> Yodia, Syntyche, be of the same mind. Remember, I just wrote about it just a little bit ago in this letter. Have the mind of Christ who humbled himself and gave himself for us. Come back into unity in the community and let's do what we're doing here. Let's build our, our Jenga tower in the, uh, in the city of Philippi. Make sense? Did I have my cup of water? I'm very parched. and I didn't bring it with me. Okay. Jenga just dries you out, you know? I wasn't even playing. I was only watching. Okay. In contrast to the mind of Christ and being of one accord and everything that Paul just wrote, in chapter 3, so right between the Jesus good stuff and the, hey, you guys, get along, Paul talks about another type of people. He calls them enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see, Paul set up these two things, being of one accord, having the mind of Christ, you know, what we're working towards. He says some are not doing this. They've got their minds set on earthly things and all sorts of other distractions, like Bill Stumwar in the middle of a Jenga game, all other distractions, and, and they're actually enemies of the cross of Christ. E, S, don't be like that. Be like Jesus. That's the encouragement. Okay, so you might be thinking to yourself, self, that church in Philippi was kind of messed up. I'm glad I don't go to church there. But lo and behold, they were not the only church with this problem. Paul had to write nearly the exact same thing to the church in a town called Corinth. And we read it here. I appeal to you, brothers. See, it wasn't just the women. He said brothers here. <laughs> Nobody was thinking that, I'm sure. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Okay, so what are we picking up here? Paul says the exact same thing to solve the exact same problem for a different church at a different time and a different letter. This is a common problem in the first century church. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, it's a common problem in the church today, right here in America, right here in Kalamazoo. It is very easy when we get together and try to be the community of Christ to start bumping into each other and wounding each other and having arguments. And so what we can pick up from the teaching of Paul, the church in Philippi, is the solution is to come into an agreement, to keep working together, to set aside our own interests, to humble ourselves, to become teammates once again if our, our friendship and our teammate has been stressed and get back toward working toward the goal, the goal of Jesus, the Great Commission, it's called in Matthew 28. All right, we're going to move on to verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4, our next verse. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. 
Is anyone else thinking of the really old song? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so am I. I'm not going to sing it for you. There's a reason I'm not on the worship team. Pastor Cameron has mentioned this before. Some people call Philippians the letter of joy. Paul comes back to it again and again throughout the book. It's like he really likes to rejoice. Um, so even in the midst of dealing with divisions in the church, Paul's focused on this topic, rejoice. And as we're going to go on to the next verses, we're going to see that rejoicing, having joy, is part of Paul's treatment program for having a healthy soul. So keep that marked in your mind as we move on to verse 5. He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. I wonder if anyone else has ever needed uh, that like come to your senses help from a friend before. You know, I feel like this verse where Paul's like, hey, be reasonable. The Lord's at hand is like, hey, come to your senses. <laughs> hey, be reasonable. Don't you know God is here? Paul is saying, wake up, ENS. Wake up, people. We're trying to do something here. God is in our midst. He's doing something amazing. Be reasonable. Reasonableness, as we'll see, is most often translated be gentle in other New Testament books. If you follow the old Greek language and use one of those um, concordances, you'll find that. Um, we find it in 1 Timothy 3, verse 3. Overseers in the church must be reasonable or gentle. Um, all believers are encouraged to be uh, gentle in the book of Titus. And um, I feel like Paul's kind of gentle in his encouragement to be gentle. But James is not. <laughs> Let's read what James wrote about this. <laughs> For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So where maybe Paul's like, hey, snap out of it. Be reasonable. Be gentle. James is like, whoosh, whoosh. your jealousy and selfish ambition are disorderly and vile. He's like a slap you in the face kind of guy. I kind of love that about the book of James. Like once in a while, I just want like that straightforward, like grab me by the shoulders and shake me to come to my senses. James is good for that. But it is the same message, isn't it? And it's so important to have a healthy community, to be the kind of person who can be in community. We have to be reasonable. We have to be gentle with one another. All right, let's keep moving. Let's check out Philippians 4 verse 6 now says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And I wonder if anyone has ever read this verse or heard a message about it and felt shame that they experience anxiety, that they are currently feeling anxious when someone gets up behind a podium and says, do not be anxious. Well, that is totally not where I'm going with it this morning. And I think if we read the letter more carefully and we look at the greater context of the scriptures, that verse is not there to shame you or condemn you. Do you believe me? <laughs> if you believe me, raise your hand. All right. If you ever felt that way before, I won't make you raise your hand, but I hope to convince you otherwise. Remember, Paul just wrote in this letter how anxious he was to send Epaphroditus home to the church in Philippi. 
they sent this guy, another hard E name to say, right? Epaphroditus. Anyways, they send Epaph from Philippi to Paul in prison to help meet his needs, care for him, send a little care package, right? While Epaph is there, he gets sick and almost dies. And the church back home heard about it. And they were concerned. And now Paul's concerned. And he feels anxious because he wants to send him home so they can high-five him, give him a hug, and see that he's okay, and then everyone will feel better. So Paul was anxious too. It's a problem in the first century just like it is today. Anxiousness is not a new invention. And in fact, Jesus spent a good chunk of the Sermon on the Mount talking about being anxious. So instead of looking at it as a reason for shame or condemnation, you know, let's not look at this as like a measuring stick verse where you're like, he said, do not be anxious. If I'm feeling anxious, am I failing my Christian walk? I feel like that's the total wrong approach to this. Instead, let's look at it as part of Paul's treatment program for a healthy soul, for a healthy community, okay? And it comes from someone who understands our situation. Um, have you read the book of Acts and all that Paul went through? There are some anxious situations. Um, riots break out when he goes to cities sometimes. <laughs> they stone him and leave him for dead sometimes. He's shipwrecked sometimes, losing all the cargo, but luckily none of the men because God had grace on, on them all because of Paul. Um, and he's in prison writing this letter. If anyone understands anxious situations, it's the Apostle Paul. All right, so what is his plan? What's his treatment program? We already read about rejoice before we got to do not be anxious. But what he says are two things in this verse we're in now. He says, pray and give thanks. He says, in everything by prayer and supplication. So in all circumstances, pray. In another letter we'll read in a minute, Paul says, pray all the time. So in all circumstances and all the time, pray. And Remember when I read, he said, with prayer and supplication. He uses two different Greek words for prayer. So in all circumstances, all the time, and in every way you can think of, pray. That's a key um, to dealing with anxiousness. And the second one is give thanks. Doesn't that just sound like more prayer? It totally is, my friends. <laughs> it totally is. Um, and what I love about giving thanks is that <clears throat> um, if we choose to give thanks by a choice of our will, it forces us to broaden our perspective. It opens up the frame through which we see the world. As we begin to thank God for what he's done, it reminds us of who he is. And instead of just seeing my current circumstance, anxiousness over knocking over a Jenga tower. <laughs> I don't know. It was sitting there. I thought of it. Um, <laughs> instead of just my life circumstances that make me feel anxious, I begin to thank God and see the bigger picture. And it helps me not to stay locked into just this one thing in front of me. It's a real key um, to dealing with anxious situations. <clears throat> There's a psalm that's specifically constructed with bookends of thanksgiving. Psalm 118, verses 1 and 29, that's the very first verse and the very last verse of the psalm, are the exact same words. They say, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, 
for his steadfast love endures forever. So there may be a whole lot of anxious situations in between, but the beginning and the end of the song talk about giving thanks to God, remembering that he's good and that he's steadfast, he's faithful. His love and promises to you will last forever. That's encouraging. Here's that verse where Paul says to pray all the time. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when Paul wrote to the church in Thessalonica, which is really fun to say, Thessalonica, he said the exact same thing. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Paul's pretty consistent in how to deal with tough circumstances. Rejoice, pray, and give thanks. Uh, the JFB commentary says it this way. Thanksgiving gives effect to prayer and frees from anxious carefulness by making all God's dealings matter for praise. What, that's, what I think that's trying to say, you might interpret it differently. It's kind of fancy words, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I'm a simple man. Prayer, good. Anxious, bad. <laughs> no, what I think they're saying here is that any circumstance can be turned around into praise for God, and it starts with thanksgiving and prayer. Okay? The church in Philippi, as they're reading this letter and this treatment program from Paul, are going to be remembering how their church was founded. Paul and Silas came to town. They started talking about Jesus. Things start happening, and like usual, Paul gets thrown in prison. <laughs> Paul and Silas are in prison at night in a horrible circumstance, a great cause for anxiety. But what they do is they start giving thanks to God. They start singing praise to God in their prison cell, locked up, and the chains fall off, the doors open, and they're like, wow, good worship set. The jailer is about to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners just got away and they're going to kill me anyway, so I better put myself out of my misery now. And they're like, wait, stop. We're still here. The guy becomes a Jesus follower. The jailer does. And guess who's probably being read this letter from Paul that we call Philippians? Probably that guy. So when Paul says rejoice, pray, and give thanks in all situations and all circumstances, he's like, yeah, that's how I got saved. He did that in my jail. <laughs> it makes it real, doesn't it? We remember the context in which Paul writes. Let's keep going. We're on verse 7 now. So if we rejoice, pray, and give thanks, what is the outcome that Paul expects us to encounter in our lives? Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The promise for those who stay connected to the Lord in prayer is peace. The promise of prayer is peace. Jesus gave the same gift of peace to his disciples right before he went to the cross. We read about it in the Gospel of John. John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And in 1633, he said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation." But take heart, I have overcome the world. So you're catching that. What Paul and what Jesus 
by saying is that we need peace. We need peace. And what I'm picking up is that peace is not the absence of trouble. Peace is what sustains you through the trouble. Peace is not the absence of trouble. It's what sustains you through trouble. For the disciples, it's peace that can sustain them through losing their rabbi on a bloody Roman cross. That's tough. Totally confusing, disappointing, disheartening. For Paul, peace is what sustains him through shipwreck, stonings, riots, you know, possibly a, a, an execution in the near future is what he's facing when he writes this. So we can take heart that peace from God is what can sustain us through the troubles that we face today. We put our hope in the presence of the God of peace, not in better circumstances. Feeling a lot of the Holy Spirit on this part of the message. <laughs> I'm going to take a drink. Pull it together. Bad things happen to good people. You can follow Jesus with all your heart. You can be doing a good job of it. <laughs> and bad things can still happen. Okay? Car wrecks, cancer, migraines, heart attacks, that stuff still happens to people following Jesus. And when, um, <laughs> I was not expecting this. <laughs> um, when that stuff happens, what we do is we pray for healing, full of faith. Miraculous healings happen all over the New Testament. We expect it today too. We pray in faith for healing. But listen, guys, um, people still die. People still get sick. There are many, many, many saints who have gone before us for 2,000 years since Jesus rose from the dead who got sick and died. Okay? So do not let those kind of disappointments shipwreck your faith. It does for a lot of people. But the promise is not the absence of trouble. The promise is peace to get through it and the redemption that happens at the end of the story. Jesus said that just a second ago. We saw it. In this world, you will have trouble, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now I need a Kleenex, Marilyn. I say it to her like she's in charge of meeting all my needs. I can get my own Kleenex. Um... I'm going to blow my nose, Molly. Maybe mute me for a second. <laughs> All right. I think I've got it for now. We'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've talked with people who are leaving the Christian faith because bad things happen to good people. It's a total misunderstanding of what Scripture says. People suffer throughout the scriptures. God's people suffer. Okay, it happens. Miraculous things happen too. Both and. Both and. It doesn't mean God is not good because he's going to redeem it all. Jesus conquered death and the grave. He rose and he's coming back and he will undo everything that's not right. 
think you're getting the, the point. I'm going to keep moving. Maybe I can pull it together. <laughs> it's so important. If you have any questions or you ever want to talk about that, let's, let's do so. Okay, what's the peace going to do? Paul said it will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The JFB commentary says it shall keep as a well-garrisoned stronghold. And that, that word guard can be translated keep. And sometimes it is as you read your Bible. Okay, um, so the peace of God is their standing guard to keep you through all situations, to guard your heart and your mind. The uh, New Bible Commentary puts it this way. When prayer replaces worry, the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, comes in. And that peace acts as a sentry, guarding the Christian's mind and emotions from being overwhelmed by the sudden onrush of fear, anxiety, or temptation. Peace is like a sentry guard. It's a door to your heart and mind, so you won't be overcome. In Isaiah 26.3, it's said this way, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. That sounds like somebody in constant prayer, doesn't it? All right, let's move on to verse 8. Philippians 4.8. We're only going to verse 9. We're almost there. Are you hanging in there? Good. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Think about these things. I skipped some words in there. It was a little easier to read that way. Think about these things. So Paul's treatment program for a healthy soul, for dealing with anxiousness, tough circumstances, is rejoice, pray, give thanks, and now think about this kind of stuff in his list. That Greek word, we're just talking about Greek words today, aren't we? It's all Greek to me. Ha <laughs> ha, you saw that one coming. Okay. It means to count, credit, consider, understand, number, or dwell on. And there's a connotation here of a bookkeeper reckoning accounts. A good bookkeeper takes account of every penny, right? They don't miss a thing. And Paul is saying, hey, honorable, lovely, praiseworthy, these things, don't miss a thing, don't miss a penny. When it comes to these godly qualities, they're out there all around you in this world by the grace of God and the good of those who are following him. Pay attention to it. On the flip side, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, um, it's all about love. And it says in that chapter, love does not keep a record of wrongs. So the question to us is, what are we keeping record of? Is it the good list in Philippians 4.8? Or are we keeping a record of wrongs or disappointments or our own failures and shortcomings? You know, the last time I screwed it up. What's on your record books? What kind of accountant are you <laughs> spiritually? Whatever you're looking for, you're going to find more of. Just to highlight the point, I want to tell you a little story. I don't know if my mom's here today. I don't know. Maybe she's watching online. My dad's saying, no, she's not here. Mom, if you're watching this or checking it out later, this story is for you. The year was about 1995. I was a young lad of 15, and my mom was preparing to buy a new vehicle. And 
one of the vehicles she looked at and was considering buying was a 1994 Chevy Cavalier, new to us. And there were a couple other models maybe she was considering. I don't remember what they were. They were total junk. Total junk. Because the 1994 Chevy Cavalier in light teal blue was the car for us. It was the car for her, and it was going to be the car for me as soon as I got my license, right? Right? <laughs> you know anybody about that age It's like eyeing your car, parents? Yeah, that was me. And I wanted the Chevy Cavalier. So between the time she told me that was a possibility and the time she ended up buying, yes, she did buy the Chevy Cavalier, I bugged her nonstop. Every time we went anywhere, I'm like, there's a Chevy Cavalier. There's a Chevy Cavalier, Mom. I would keep count as we go to run errands of how many I saw on the streets of Kalamazoo and Portage. And it's amazing. Once I knew that she might buy this car, I saw it everywhere. I mean everywhere. She can vouch for that. <laughs> Unfortunately for her, it was a common car, and they were everywhere. <clears throat> but what was happening to me actually has a name. It's called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. It's a psychological thing that they have studied. A thing recently in your mind shows up everywhere you look. You become aware of it, and now you see it everywhere. And so 2,000 years ago, Paul must have been, you know, friends with Bader and Meinhof. No, that's not. <laughs> he tapped into this same concept. Hey, if we dwell on, if we're keeping record of things that are honorable, lovely, and praiseworthy, God's goodness in the world, we're going to keep seeing it everywhere we look. Unfortunately, the opposite is true. If we're counting up disappointments and failures and a record of wrongs people have done to us, we're going to keep finding more of it. And so this is a key part of the treatment program for a healthy soul um, and a healthy Christ-following community is that we look, we look for the good in the world around us. We call out the good in the people in this community that we see. We look for the good things God is doing in us, and we're going to keep seeing more and more of it. If we do that, the result will actually be an uplift away from anxiousness. Okay? As we get close to wrapping up here, I need to do a little aside from Philippians 4, okay? Uh, the way I think about us humans is three parts, body, soul, and spirit. Body being like, the easy one to understand, right? <laughs> your physical body. Your soul, what I mean by that is like your emotions and your intellect, you know, kind of mind and heart. And spirit being like the eternal thing created in the image of God that, that will last forever, even if this body wears out, when this body wears out. So we're three-part people. And what Paul just shared with us in the letter to the church at Philippi is a treatment program for anxiousness. But anxiety and depression are really common in our day, and they can be very serious. Um, and so I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with that in a major way, um, to consider all three types of solutions, solutions that treat your body like medicine, healthy diet and exercise, things that will help your body chemistry do better, um, things that can help your soul, like professional counseling, can really help with anxiety and depression, um, and spiritual. Three-part people you know, need three-part treatment programs sometimes. Paul's uh, treatment program has a lot to do with the spiritual 
part of you, and it's tapping into that soulish part too. A lot of counselors would do something really similar to Paul and help you be mindful of good things in your life as a way to treat anxiety. So uh, I would encourage you, if you're dealing with that, seek out professional help if you need it. Um, if you have any questions about that or you want a referral to counselors, uh, let us know. Sound good? Um, okay, so we're wrapping up. We're on our last verse. We made it to the conclusion of our Jenga Tower start of the sermon now comes to a conclusion here. Whatever. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. So I've said it a lot of times because I'm hoping you'll remember it. Paul says, be in agreement. Find a way to be on a team with one another as the body and church of Christ and work together. He says, rejoice, pray, 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 give thanks and dwell on, keep a record of good things all around you. And he wraps it all up by saying, practice, 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 practice. You guys, it's okay if you're struggling with anxiousness. It's okay if you've got an open conflict with somebody that comes to mind this morning. We have a plan to deal with it. We're here to encourage one another, to help one another deal with it and, and get through it together. All right? Well, it was a pleasure sharing with you the message this morning.